Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken, episode number nine. All right, so today we're going to be reviewing uh, Star Trek Spock Reflections, which came out uh, by IDW Comics Mm -hmm. starting in July of 2009, so... uh, Pretty recent. Yep, riding off the... uh, the, the big Star Trek wave due to the new movie that came out in May, I believe? May or June? Uh, it was May of 2009, I think. Yeah, so this came out shortly after, and this was kind of billed or advertised as being a uh, prequel of sorts to Star Trek Countdown, which was a prequel of Star Trek the movie. So it's... But I, once I read it, I didn't really see the... Uh, the, uh, the the prequel type aspect, aside from it being an old Spock, but uh, yeah, we'll get well, this, into that later. So, uh, as you'll find out through the story, we see Spock through multiple periods of his life, hearkening back to things, reflecting and, exactly. So, uh, at the end, he's 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 pretty old when when the when the particular story wraps up in these four issues, and uh, and of course, you know, at some point after that came the events of the uh, Star Trek movie. And, but before that, it was the events of Star Trek Countdown, which was also done by IDW, which I know you've read and I've yep. read. And uh, I really enjoyed that one. I thought about doing that one as our first little foray into um, uh, IDW, but uh, I opted with this one just because I kind of like the uh, this kind of tying back to all um, versions of Star Trek. So yes. since we, we kind of did a episode of each uh, – series of star trek so we did the original series the movie series the next generation deep space nine voyager i thought this one was kind of a nice tie-in because it kind of touches into a lot of those uh those different timelines yeah classic trek as well as um next generation next gen but not the other ones but that's fine yeah Uh, but it was all happening at the same time and, and i do think that it's worthwhile as we take the second pass through the different uh, publishers, mm-hmm. that I think it's worthwhile for us to do um, start the countdown. Yeah, definitely. Because that that there was so much that went on in that cart that comic book that explained so much that the movie did not explain. Right. I remember when because uh, you read it uh, before I did because I was wanting to wait until the movie came out because I didn't want to spoil it. And I remember when you were reading it, you're like, "Well, they're going to have to put all this in the movie somehow because." The movie won't make any sense without uh, having all this backstory, <laughs> and then I, I ended up I ended up reading all four issues before the movie actually came out, right before right. it. But uh, yeah, and I totally see what you're saying. But I thought they did a good job in the movie. Oh, the, the movie was uh, fine. where they didn't necessarily contradict the the countdown comic too much, but um, it's different. It, it is a little different. You don't talk about Jordy's actions with the the little jellyfish ship, but uh, aside from that, I, I thought it fit in pretty well. It did. And it, like I said, it didn't necessarily contradict it. It just no, it, didn't. There were things that were different, like you had mentioned the Geordie thing. True. Yeah. Well, okay, but that's a different series. We should yeah, get so back to. We'll do that next time. Reflections. <laughs> All right. Spock so reflections. Spock Reflections came out uh, July '09. So this is issue number one. Uh, 
So it starts off with, uh, it's probably the year 2372. Uh, it doesn't actually say that, but uh, it's definitely shortly after Star Trek Generations. So uh, you're on a, uh, an Orion freighter, and there's two passengers aboard. Uh, they're traveling from Romulus, Romulus to the Federation through the neutral zone. Uh, one of the passengers is a very talkative uh, Saurian, who's famous for uh, their Saurian brandy. Uh, which, that? which I think the only time they were ever actually seen in Star Trek is in um, Star Trek the Motion Picture. Oh, interesting. The, the alien that's the Saurian is like just a little background alien right. in the Enterprise. Uh, that's what I figured. If, if, if that creature popped up anywhere, it was definitely in a background supporting thing, not, not as a main character, right. not as a crew member, nothing like that. Well, he was a crew member, but he was just... Remember in Star Trek, the motion picture, they just had a tons of, of aliens people. in the background, yeah. even though all the crew, mem- uh, all the bridge crew was humans. Dead. Sure. Of course. Come on. Because we rock. Of course. All right. So one of them is a very we talkative Saurian, and I don't remember it ever saying his name. I, I looked around. I didn't see it. Yeah. I did not see the name. And the other one is a very sullen Vulcan, and we find out that he's Spock very shortly. So as the, the Saurian's talking to him, uh, Spark's, uh, Spock starts to remember. And then, so now we get a flashback. It's, uh, it says it's 78 years later or earlier. So this would have been around 2294, which would have been right after the uh, Enterprise, uh, Star Trek Generations prologue. So after uh, Kirk just died. So we get Spock arriving on the Enterprise B, and he meets up with Captain Harriman, who uh, shows him the, uh, a plaque that was put in the, in the engineering section where Kirk died. Uh, Harriman uh, starts beating himself up about him not being ready to be the captain of the Enterprise and following Kirk's footprint, uh, footsteps, uh, and then Spock reassures him that he's, he is capable. So then it jumps back to uh, 2372, and the Saurian is... Um, uh, breaks Spock's train of thought and uh, asks him why he's uh, traveling through the neutral zone. Spock informs him that he's a teacher and that everyone deserves to learn. Um, and then we go to uh, another flashback, which is probably around sometime after 2237, which would be shortly after the animated episode Yesteryear, <laughs> where we see little Spock meeting up with uh, a time-traveling older Spock. Uh, right before he goes through his Coswan um, uh, ordeal. So anyway, so uh, we're here. We see uh, um, Spock returning uh, from sneaking out to the, the desert, the forge. And um, Sarek and Amanda scold him. Uh, and then that night, uh, Spock sneaks out again. Uh, Sarek, um, upset it seems like for a Vulcan, mm-hmm. uh, follows him. Uh, he... At one point, he, he's climbing a mesa or something that Spock's on, ends up falling. Spock pulls him up, um, and then Spock tells him that uh, he does not feel at home on Vulcan. Uh, and you kind of have like a father-son bonding moment. Uh, then it flashes back to uh, 2372, and um, the door to the, the room that the Spock and the Saurian are in opens, and an Orion walks in, and he tells them that they're about to uh, get through the, the neutral zone. And he informs Spock that he's uh, hit, that the rendezvous ship uh, is on schedule, and then Spock informs the Saurian that his final destination will be Earth, and then to be continued. End of episode one. Yep. So uh, overall, I I really <coughs> like the artwork. I think the artwork looks really good. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I really like how they transition between like a profile of old Spock and then it'll transition to like a picture of the young Spock, almost in the same position. Things I like that. Yeah, they do that a lot in this. Yeah, but I thought it was good. Yeah. My big complaint though is four panels per page. Mm-hmm. So I think they they drew this so that it would make you look it would make you think that it's like a storyboard or something for a movie. So mm-hmm. you get the widescreen feel, but. You know, when you're spending four dollars on a comic book, you want more story than this. Yeah, a little more meat to it. Yeah, so that's my real big complaint with uh, with all comic books uh, of this era. I mean, you get you get prettier pictures, but less story. So it's a constant complaint of yeah. mine. I I completely agree. I was writing down uh, good story, but really short. Did not go very far. I prefer more meat to my comics. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's sad that, you know, comic books are getting more and more expensive, uh, and you're getting less and less story. It, yeah. You're getting all these, like, really big splash pages, which look really nice, but, you know, like, like we talked about in the last episode, uh, at the end of that, uh, those, those Star Trek Voyager comics we reviewed last week, it had these nice pinups that had, you know, big splash pages of different scenes from the comic, or not even scenes from the comic, but just crew members of Voyager or the monsters that they encountered. That doesn't have to be the whole page and actually be part of the story like it is here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, every once in a while, great. But every single page, just four panels, uh, got a little old. Also, are they did they purposely format some of this stuff so it would be more cons- easily consumable on a digital, uh, through a digital uh, delivery method? Like uh, the uh, the iPod, the iPhone or iPod Touch, because right. definitely that's how I had read how I had read that um, that prequel to the movie, that countdown. Right, that's how exactly. I read it too, and uh, and it was convenient just uh, scrolling Swing. through it like that. Yeah, uh, I don't know because uh, a lot of IDW Star Trek stuff, even before this and Countdown, does the same thing. Mm-hmm. So they had. Like a year one storyline, or I'm sorry, year four, which was supposed to be kind of like what would have happened in the fourth season of Star Trek if it got continued. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also kind of framed the same way where you get like a big splash page at the beginning and then throughout the, the rest of the story it's these four or five panels per page. I really think they did it so that it would make you feel like you're watching TV or a movie. Mm. That's my guess. Plus the ad they've got on the uh, on the comic, oh, yeah, on the showing the there. showing the iPod, yeah, and it's showing how they're uh, they've got all these great comics you can go ahead and download and read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so, IDW was the early adopter of the uh, that type of format. So, like it says, maybe you're right. The coolest comics from IDW, the leader in digital comic book publishing, for your iPhone, iPod Touch, yeah. individual titles available. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. Interesting. IDW also does a pretty good job of releasing a lot of stuff on the PSP mm-hmm. uh, format, which is a little different than the iPod format. So uh, maybe, maybe you're right. So, maybe they did do that on purpose so that it would be easily consumable in a little frame device. of a iPod or a PSP. Yeah. Interesting. It's yeah. definitely it's definitely a different uh, feel, different kind of comic than any other comic I've uh, I've read. I agree. These ideas I'll use. All right, so <laughs> let's get to the story real quick. On uh, page seven, when you have Harriman kind of telling the story, um, or that Harriman is actually in the story, uh, I really like his character. Uh, what, I don't remember who the actor's name is. 
Yeah, I don't remember him either, um, but he was Rudd or something. I think his last name is Rudd, but uh, but yeah, he played in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He was the sidekick, the, the dorky sidekick, right? And he was also in Spin City for many many years, many years, and uh, <clears throat> he was one of the uh, the guys in the staff. Uh, he. Well, he's just been in many things over the years. Yeah. And he's popping up all over the place. He was one of the guys in Twister. <clears throat> so one of the science guys. Oh, is he really? That were going around, you know, with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and stuff, uh, the support guys. I don't he was remember. One of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was one of the graduate student guys. Huh. That's Tornado funny. chasers. But uh, I like his character. I, I had read uh, two novels that was kind of centered around his uh, captaincy of the Enterprise. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Captain's, uh, the one was called Captain's Daughter, which was uh, kind of about, Sulu was, uh, it was basically about Sulu and his daughter, who, what's her name, Demora, or whatever her name is, who's the helmsman, and then Captain Harriman. And then uh, there was another one called Serpents Among the Ruins, which was uh, basically the Enterprise B going to uh, investigate uh, some Romulan stockpiling of weapons kind of thing. And and in that story is where they sign the peace treaty that they reference in The Next Generation a lot. Mm. You know, they're always talking about this peace treaty between the Romulans and the Federation. That uh, So that's where that supposedly happened, which, mm. which was a really good story. When Spock's a little boy, how old do you think he's supposed to be here when they're back on Vulcan? Unless you had something oh, about Enterprise B part. <clears throat> no, no, not really. Um, I don't know. He looks like he might be 12 or... 12 or 10 or 13 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think uh, Sarek looks pretty good, but that woman doesn't look anything like Amanda. No, and look at that. Look at that skinny little uh, buttocks. Oh, uh, they're on page 16? Yeah, on page 16, there's like two frames showing uh, Sarek leaving, and at first I was looking at it, and to the left, <laughs> there, there, there's like some fabric and stuff. Yeah, and then I realized... Hey, that's Amanda's butt. <laughs> and it's a skinny little butt. When you're on Vulcan, all you eat is fruits and vegetables. So uh-huh. you'd probably, I guess that uh... could be. I guess that could be. Mm-hmm. Was it Jane Wyman, though? Is the that original the, TV the show? actress who played her? I don't know. I, I, I think. But I think she kind of looks like Winona Ryder here. I yeah, thought. she does. So since this came out about the time the movie did, I'm sure that's not You know, that makes complete sense. Yeah. That he, makes complete sense. Yeah. Because they... Yeah. So just, I bet that's successful they did. That's supposed to be Winona Ryder when she was younger. Yeah. So just real quick, on this page, that uh, it's page 16 on uh, issue number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good example about how this four-panel thing, I think, works. Mm-hmm. I think it works really well because the top <clears throat> panel shows Sarek kind of tying his shoes and Amanda's over to the side talking. And then the second panel, which is right b- uh, underneath, is like a super close-up of him uh, adjusting his shoes while you can still see Amanda in the <clears throat> background. And then it, the, the next panel is Sarek leaving, and you get the butt shot of Amanda. And then the next panel is just the butt shot of Amanda, and now Sarek's gone. So y- you get the movement as if it was, as if you're watching a movie. A real scene. Right. So it's like, okay, he's tying <coughs> his shoes, close to the shoes, he's walking out the door, he's gone. So I liked, I like that. I like the way it makes you feel like you're watching something as opposed to reading it, but... I yeah. think it hurt. And, and, and occasionally, I think that would be good, but yeah. I think they just overdo they it. They do that a lot. And now, now, in this case, those three scenes, there, there's some dialogue going on, at least. Yeah. There's, that there's, that well, moves things along a four, little bit. There's four uh, word balloons. I bet there's no more than 10, 10 15 bit words in that whole page. Right. I mean, it's not a lot. Yeah. Anyway, it's definitely a different format for the electronic media. 
Yeah, I agree. All right, so uh, I made a note about uh, where is Cybok in, in this little backstory. Did he? Oh, what, the dog, I think? No, Cybok. Uh, Who's Cybok? Spock's brother. Oh, that was in Star, Star Trek, Trek 5? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't remember ever hearing a reference to him until Star Trek Five, Of course, because he was kind of like the black sheep of the... So he, so he was significantly older than Spock. But I don't think he was significantly older. I, I think he was only like six years older. Well, so. okay, that's fairly significant. But, yeah, but I mean... But, but he, it, he was already gone. He was out of the picture, well, we, apparently. We said, we said what Spock was, what, maybe 13 or whatever? Yeah. So I guess Cybok would be 19, so I guess he'd be gone. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But then I was then I just made a little note. I was like, well, "What did it ever say? What happened to his mom, Sarek's first wife?" Because then they say she was a princess or a priestess or something. When did they say that? In Star Trek Five, when Spock's trying to explain how he oh, has a brother and God, nobody knows about that. it. I don't remember that well. Yeah, I was just wondering if if they ever explained. I think I've seen that what movie only twice, it's which not, is unusual. It's not that for bad. Um, for for me. Watching Star Trek movies, I mean, I've seen all of them at least five or more times, except for that one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anything else? <laughs> Nothing. All right. Nothing. So let's just jump straight into issue number two. All right. So uh, this came out uh, August of two thousand and nine. So it starts off again. We're uh, twenty three seventy two. Uh, I'm assuming uh, shortly after Generations, and the Saurian and Spock are still on the Orion ship. And the Saurian tells Spock that he can't wait to see his family. And Spock tells him that he has nobody to see. And then the alien makes a comment that reunions are the best. Hmm. And then that makes Spock think. And then uh, we go to probably around 2273, shortly after Star Trek The Motion Picture. Mm -hmm. And we get Spock uh, in a turbo lift and Dr. Chapel comes in. Uh, Spock congratulates her for becoming a doctor and finishing her studies. Um, And then... She just starts kind of acting weird and looks like she's about to touch his arm and then just basically says, uh, wish you the best, and leaves. And then he kind of mumbles after she's gone, uh, wish you the best, too, or something like that. Mm-hmm. All right, so then we go back to 2372, and uh, the ship is rocked, and the little uh, the little Saurian starts freaking out. Uh, Spock tells him, you know, it's just a nebula that they're passing, and uh, the Saurian accuses Spock of never getting rattled. So then we uh, jump to, I'm assuming it's 2253, because it's supposed to be Spock's first mission on board Pike's Enterprise. So this would be about a year before the uh, the Cage episode. All right, so Spock and uh, Pike take a shuttle from the Enterprise to some research outpost. Uh, there they find out uh, that the uh, scientists there are creating artificial wormholes. Uh, Spock explains that this is a very risky uh, project. Uh, he's talking to Pike. And uh, then they get a demo of the process. And during the demo, the uh, machine explodes, and a wormhole is created right underneath Spock, who falls into it. Uh, Spock then just blindly jumps in after him to save him. Uh, Spock and Pike uh, find themselves near a lava pool, and uh, Spock's just hanging on to the side, about to fall in. And uh, Pike saves him. Uh, very similar to how Spock saved his dad in issue number one when, when Sarek was falling down the little mesa. Um, then they, uh, they get a shuttle, craft comes and picks them up, and they go back to the Enterprise. 
Uh, Spock uh, then tells Pike that uh, he owes, owns, uh, excuse me, he owes him a debt. Then we flash back to 2372, and then the Saurian is still talking to Spock and asks him why he's making this trip, this dangerous trip from Romulus to Federation. And Spock says that it's due to some disturbing news. So then we go to probably what's just maybe a couple weeks before this uh, issue started. And uh, Spock's teaching a uh, group of Romulans. And uh, some guy gives him a a message or a um, little computer pad. And then after he reads it, he says that he had some uh, news about a friend coming back that everyone thought was dead. And then a Romulan was like, whoa, that's that's great. And Spock informs him that... Uh, I forgot how he worded it because I'm reading my notes, but he said something to the effect of uh, he's dead again or he's dead. Mm. And then that's uh, that's the end of issue number two. So overall, what did you think of this one? brought along. Um, I, I think it was fine. <clears throat> um, it moved the story along. I like seeing uh, the Pike time period. Yeah. Um, and the, I liked seeing the chapel. I, I I liked that the costumes there made them look like like I said when we reviewed uh, some of the Marvel stuff based in this the uh, Star Trek the uh, motion picture mm-hmm. timeline. Yeah. When you draw the costumes, they look <clears throat> really cool. When you see them on the actors, they look like pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So I mean, it has a, like that gray gray look, and then mm-hmm. I like the logo. It's different than. You know, it's kind of a cross between the old one and what the little com badges that they use in Next Generation. Sure. Um, I will say that uh, the drawing of Chapel yeah. does not look much like Miguel Barrett. You don't think so? No. Now, 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 maybe this one <clears throat> on, page, on five, page five, yeah. bottom of page five, that might be like her. But I'm looking at these other shots, and those, those, I don't think it looks like her at all. Those shots on all, all of page five, I think, look spot on. Like Really? Yeah. From... from uh, <laughs> Motion picture, the motion picture chapel because in the original series didn't she have blonde hair or something? She had blonde hair. Yeah, and then in the the, the motion picture she had uh, brown hair, short brown hair, and then you know obviously when she becomes Luxana Troy, Luxana <laughs> Troy, <laughs> well, she totally has different. long black hair. Totally different character. No, I think there on page five she looks really good. Um, I will agree that maybe that first shot of her coming on the turbo that, lift on page four <clears> doesn't really look like her. That looks nothing like her. Yeah, I can see this that. a little bit. I'm not so sure with these other ones. Really, I thought I thought they did a good job on her. Yeah. I mean, then making her feel a little uncomfortable when she was going to touch Spock. So I always felt bad for Chapel. I mean, I never understood why. Why? why she was, what was her character, was, anyways? I mean, she was just this, so in love with Spock. Spock. I would never say anything. Right, and it was always like it was always kind of sad. Yeah. And then, you know, I'll, as a kid, I didn't see this, but when I got older and I knew what uh, Pond Far was, mm-hmm. and, and they made this big trip from the edge of the galaxy to Vulcan because he was going through Pond Far and he had to get to Tavang. And then, you know, as an older kid, I was like, I bet Chapel would have helped him. <laughs> <laughs> Gladly volunteer. But it's more than just that sordid thing you're insinuating, young man. Uh, another thing I just want to comment on is that the Saurian at times reminds me of Gorn. Oh yeah, he does kind of. Like you know, I'm uh, looking at that stuff like, you know, you know, it's, it's he's different. Yeah. But you know, he looks a lot like a Gorn, and he's purple, so that that 
kind of makes him ungorn like but yeah i totally see what you're saying oh good anyway so but, uh, um, i do like i do like some of the close-ups <laughs> of him and you know when the when the saurian was on on the screen if he was even on the screen he you know a very static mask that didn't move at all but i like how in this comic he has expressions and his eyeballs mm-hmm. bug out a little bit so anyways i i did want to make a comment on the pike story there on page 11 mm-hmm. when the shuttlecraft is leaving the enterprise you know what I'm going to say here? Because you're always giving me a hard time about it. On 11? Yeah, page 11. When the shuttlecraft is leaving the Enterprise. Um, you notice something wrong? What, the nacelles? Yes. That is not Pike's Enterprise. That is Kirk's <laughs> Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> because of why, Donovan? Why don't you tell the viewing audience, large as it is? Because the, uh, the nacelles on the original model of the Enterprise... Uh, had little vents on the end of the nacelles. And then when they uh, did the second pilot, they changed up the Enterprise just slightly, and they had these little bubble things on the end of the nacelles. Yeah. And that's what Kirk had, for the most part, because they did reuse a lot of footage from uh, the cage. So every once in a while, uh, Kirk suddenly had the the old ship. But, uh, right. but that's supposed to be Pike's ship, so it's supposed to be the little vents. Good point. <laughs> That's a great point. And I will also say on that same page that uh, that th- at the bottom, that doesn't look like Pike at all. Is that supposed to be Pike? Oh, yeah, it is. I think. Yeah, you're right. That doesn't. But they're on page 10. <coughs> that, that close up at the end of page 10, just the opposite page. Oh, this one? Yeah, yeah. I think that was spot on. Yeah, he, he has those of, crystal yeah. blue eyes. He looks it, really well, good. Now, there's another one where I think it's – I think this uh, on page 16 – I think 16 is a lot closer to him, especially the, the, the second from bottom, 16. bottom panel. Yeah, 16. Oh, 18. Oh, that's 18. 18. So the bottom of page 18, second panel from the bottom, I think that's a good shot of him. Yeah. Look, but, it, it, looks, it looks good. Yeah, and then also that one right above it to the left uh, where he's kind of half in shadow. That looks right. like something that was actually from the show back mm-hmm. when he was... Um, Talking about being so stressed out about uh, being a captain to the to the doctor there. Right. Hey, I did have, and, a, and he did make a good. Uh, uh, that, that actor made a good captain. I thought he did too. Jeffrey was, Hunter. Jeffrey Hunter. That's yeah. It. Went on to uh, die. What? He died young. Did he? Oh yeah. Oh, that's too bad. I didn't know but that. But you were going to say somebody that had what? eternal life. Yes, he played Jesus and the King of Kings. There you go. Which, uh, which is funny because I used to always make the joke when I when I would talk to people like, oh yeah, the captain of the Enterprise became Jesus or whatever, and then <laughs> they've made that joke many times on Family Guy, ah. where Stewie would be like, he's not good enough to be uh, the captain of the Enterprise, but he's good enough to be the King of Kings. Oh, oh, so like, oh I didn't. So I'm always that. laughing. I'm like, I mean, how many people are going to get that joke? That how many people are going to get that joke except for me and maybe one. somebody else? <laughs> All right. Anything else on this one? We're kind of breezing through them real quick, but just because there's really short. not a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of story to talk about. I did want to talk about uh, back to the Pike one real quick before you go to your thing. Uh, um, okay, good. They they're not on their uniforms. They they have like that um, that I don't know what it is. Some sort of overcoat. 
Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't the have. Teams. Yeah, it doesn't have a logo on it. And then also, when Spock and Pike are in the conference room, which you assume is sometime later, they they're wearing that same gray shirt, and it doesn't have the logo on it. Hmm. But when they beam down to the planet, the uh, the doctor what was his name Doctor some funny name. I thought it was oh Knoxville Commander Knoxville. Uh, he has a logo on his, <laughs> but and it's the exact same shirt. So. I wanted to pull out the, the episode of the cage and watch it to see if uh, if it's just the away team shirts don't have the logo or yeah they did have it on their normal uniforms right yeah because they had the long sleeve blue or not blue they were all uh, yellow uh, and it had the logo I thought like the long sleeve sweater type look looking uh, uniform sweater it looked kind of like a sweater. They they only reused it again in like the the second pilot and then they went to their bright blue yellow and um, red red. Anyway, so what else did you have? Oh, just that um, the Saurian brandy. Yeah. Tie in when he finally introduced himself as a Saurian, um, and definitely that Romulan who was in the caves with Spock. Around uh, page twenty one. The one with the goatee. The one with the goatee. I mean, he looks just like evil Spock. <laughs> I mean, look at that. That's evil Spock. It does kind of, but I mean, any any, I mean, the hair any guy quite with right, a, a Mo haircut, a Mo Howard haircut, pointed ears, and a goatee would look like Spock. You put that on me, and you're gonna say, "Hey, you're evil Spock." Mm, no. <laughs> Maybe evil Donovan. Uh, no, that's funny. Which, I, by I, the way, you do wear a goatee thing. Yeah, but it's not nearly as stylish. And I've always that. thought of you as evil Donovan. Oh, okay. I thought he kind of looked like um, uh, Jimmy Smith's a little bit. Yeah. This last, this yeah, I last guess page. A, a skinny, younger Jimmy Smith's. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, and one last thing. Towards the end <coughs> of this issue, uh, they have an advertisement for Star Trek Nero, which mm-hmm. was going to start coming out in August 2009. Uh, that's more like a pre... It's what happens to Nero from the time that he comes to uh, yep. and attacks the Kelvin. To uh, I haven't yeah. read it. I, I have them, but I haven't read them yet. So this covers all of his interactions with Klingons. Yeah, that got cut from the. First that got movie. cut from the movie. Yeah, I, I uh, read the little thing, and it says that it actually has him being captured by the Klingons and going to um, the the prison planet that uh, Kirk went to. Oh, same and, one. Uh, I forgot what it was called. Rurapenthe. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, that's it. Didn't also Archer go there too? I think he did. Yeah, I think you're right. All right, that's it for issue number two. So we will go into issue number three, and Ken will take on the uh, synopsis role. Yes. And in the synopsis role, Ken. Yes, so number three, the journey continues. So, um, opening scene, Deep Space Station E5, exterior shot. Cut to the interior of Spock and his alien companion, Exiting their ship into the space station, they part company with they part company with the alien making a comment about it being good uh, to be home, which triggers Spock into another reflective flashback. Okay, so <laughs> so uh, okay, so Spock is uh, in this flashback. Spock is walking towards a long flight of stairs into a Vulcan building 
when his former betrothed to Pring accosts him. She says, word has spread about him returning to Vulcan for good. Spock confirms his resignation from Starfleet uh, and that he's ready to under, undergo the Kulinar ritual, <clears throat> which, as I recall, is the expunging of all emotion. Yep, expunging of all emotion. Okay, so uh, to bring venomously questions uh, whether Spock will stay on Vulcan. She says he will leave Vulcan again just the way he had left her. Uh, she says he belongs out there, not on Vulcan. Witchy woman. <laughs> the next panel shows Spock back on space station E5 in the same pose he was in from, from the last Vulcan panel. So another transitionary mm-hmm. um, technique. I might say trick, but technique that they use multiple times uh, in the series. Spock's attention is grabbed by uh, Captain Mox from across the corridor, who introduces himself as he leans Han Solo-like against his ship. <laughs> yeah, and he's a, a Bolian, isn't he? Blue. A Bolian? Is yeah. that what he's a Bolian? Yeah, he's blue, and he has that little ridge that goes down his chin and also up his head. Um, I, I don't know. Did, did, he, did it call him a Bolian, or it this is from your I mean, vast encyclopedia knowledge? Well, he uh, is a Bolian. He looks like a Bolian. Okay, okay, fine. Remember, but, but he, uh, he didn't call him Bolian yeah, in here, not. but it's from your vast knowledge of uh, Star Trek aliens. Of course. Excellent. That's, that's impressive. Picard's... Uh, Barber, remember? <clears throat> oh, that guy. He was right, bullying. Right, okay. And I always thought it was funny that the barber is bald. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a bald alien. Yeah. Okay, so um, okay, so Mox uh, will be the uh, captain who will ferry Spock to his various destinations within Federal Space, or Federation Space. Okay, first stop, the third planet of the Viridian system, an important place in Star Trek history indeed is uh, the first place that they will be stopping on their, on their journeys. Um, they move from the uh, entrance up to the bridge, uh, and Captain Mox asks Spock to take a seat at the Auxiliary Sciences Station. With Spock at the science station and Mox standing by his captain's chair, a flashback to the bridge of the Enterprise with Captain Kirk in command ensues. So the uh, Enterprise crew uh, comes out of warp, and approaches the USS Collins, preparing uh, to breach its warp core. It's obviously under uh, a lot of damage. With the Collins ready to blow itself up to bits, sensors indicate that only one person is on board, Admiral Patricia Carlson. Uh, Kirk uh, knows her and thinks she is stubborn enough that she'll go down with the ship, or in this case, up with the ship, when it blows up. Blows up. All attempts to contact the Admiral fail. She has shielded uh, herself with the ship's shields around the bridge to prevent her from being beamed out. So Kirk and McCoy decide to beam over and get her out of there. With the shields up. So how are they doing that? Well, uh, so they're beaming up. Okay, so oh, that's right. first were, off, there were... was so little... Yeah, so uh, the, the ship has so little power, she's only able to uh, put the shields up in a very narrow pattern, and mm. it's, she's basically put it up around Just the, around uh, the bridge. bridge. Gotcha. So they beam in uh, in a near uh, a nearby part of the ship that is not controlled or uh, uh, by the shields. That's right. Okay, so uh, Uhura, on Spock's request, manages to turn on the Collins the Collins's uh, bridge cameras that allow uh, Spock and Uhura and the crew to see Admiral Carlson uh, head in hands on her bridge. 
she gets all angry face and ranting, saying not to beam, uh, beam her over to the Enterprise. Kirk and McCoy, meanwhile, uh, enter the bridge from the uh, turbo lift and with seemingly little effort, talk her into beaming back to the Enterprise. That's my assessment. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the Admiral explains that multiple explosions started happening uh, in her ship, and uh, none of their repair efforts helped. Uh, three different engineering crews she sent to their deaths. When they get on board, uh, back, back to the Enterprise, uh, I assume the Collins blew up, but they never actually said it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they basically got out of Dodge and got away from the, uh, the ship that was probably going to blow up. Uh, in, the, in a light moment, wrapping up the story, Spock says Kirk risked much for the Admiral. Kirk jokingly accuses Spock of worrying about him. McCoy joins in and adds to the fun and frolic. Uh, story shifts back to the ship where Captain Mox informs Spock they have arrived at Viridian 3. Spock beams down to the site of Soren's platform from which he was sucked up by the Nexus. Then he moves onto the broken old bridge. Finally, Kirk's gravesite. All the while, Picard's words playing in his head from the note sent to him, explaining Kirk's unexpected return, willing sacrifice, and death. The last panel shows Spock looking out over the vista of Viridian Three, contemplating the death of Kirk. So, uh, very... Uh, uh, I, I like this one. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I like the uh, uh, the Taz uh, storyline. Uh, I, I like that. Aboard the original. Aboard the original. Uh, the original series, uh, bridge and, and crew, um, and, and and even though it was a bit uh, weepy, I, I kind of like the uh, the replay of generations when Spock was walking around uh, and yeah. and basically recreating by walking to these sites. At least my memories of what I thought was a fine Star Trek uh, movie. Yeah, I, I like that one, with the exception of maybe the Nexus part. Because well, it never it really a... explains how you can just wheel yourself out. Yeah. I mean, but everything... Yeah, is... but no one would want to wheel, wheel themselves out, so nobody did it before. But did they really get out, or did, was this just did a... they think? They just think they got out. Exactly. So everything that happens after Generations is just what Picard perceives it as while he's in the Nexus. Because that's really what he wants. He wants to be back on the ship <laughs> and be captain of the Enterprise. And lose Data to, to his twin brother. Exactly. Or actually, it was a clone. Speaking of things that aren't explained, mm-hmm. maybe I missed it, but what the hell happened to the uh, USS Collins um, crew? I thought that they got beamed over... Uh, to I where? Thought, I thought this... But I, I don't remember ever saying that. Yeah, you're right. Because I, mean, I, looked, I looked through it a couple times, and the only reference to... First off... Uh, oh, it says, re- prepare to receive the escape pods. So she... Oh, escape every, pods. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, they're on page uh, 10. Okay. So everybody had already jettisoned Left in the from escape the pods. ship. Okay, that um, makes more and sense. And she was the one who was going to go down with the ship. I totally missed that. So here, while we're on page 10... Uh, there on the view screen, you mm-hmm. see the ship, and I, maybe that's yeah. the maybe that's the escape pod coming off. But that kind of looks like a shuttlecraft. That, that, that ship, the nacelles, you can't tell if they're the square nacelles uh, like you get from the motion they, picture they look, or the round nacelles uh, that you got from the original. But series. it's definitely a later period of time. Yeah, it's a newer looking ship than than the Enterprise. Kind of looks like almost like the um, 
uh, not the Defiant, the Reliant. but the Reliant, yeah. In so, Wrath of Khan. Right, so, so look at that ship. And then go back to look at uh, Admiral Collins aboard the uh, her ship mm-hmm. on the bridge. Look what's in the background. They're little uh, <laughs> blueprints of the Enterprise. That is an excellent point, Donovan. <laughs> yeah, so, so definitely, you know how they have the top view and the side view of the Enterprise on the wall as you come off the turbo lift. They indeed, continuity error... On the Collins, they've got the uh, a, um, a Constitution class ship. Constitution class ship, yeah. exactly. So if you look ah. on page uh, fifteen, you can see the uh, when Kirk comes in through the turbo lift, you can see the little Enterprise bl- blueprints off to the side. So now, I'll tell you, if they if they got that right, that would have been impressive. But but you know what's funny, and and this is a a, a, a complaint that I had on a completely different issue. Uh, IDW came out with an issue called uh, Captain's Log, Sulu. Uh-huh. And in it, it was about Sulu on the Excelsior, right? right? So uh, every time there was a bridge shot, and in the background, the blueprints were always of the Enterprise A huh. instead of the Excelsior class sure. Excelsior ship. Right. And even one time, there was this uh, wide shot of... Um, What's supposed to be the Excelsior helping out this uh, Tholian uh, ship? It's the Enterprise, and mm-hmm. I'm like, even in the wide shot when it's supposed to be the Excelsior, right. you stick in Enterprise A. Uh, that's weak. I, I was really upset about that. And again, you know, that's five dollar comic, and I'm just like, you can't even get that right. <laughs> Speaking of ships, um, in the opening shot where you see the um, space station B five, yeah, they're um, on page one. Exactly in the upper left hand corner. We see, uh, in the foreground, we see a starship coming uh, away from the space station with four nacelles. Yeah, it looks like the uh, Stargazer. Exactly. Yeah, it's, I, I didn't notice that. It, it, it looks like the Stargazer, uh, Picard's yeah, uh, right. first command. You're right. But what's funny is that if you keep looking over here to like the, the far distance on the left, mm-hmm. it looks like it's the uh, Enterprise uh, D. Maybe like really small. Oh wow, that's a bit of a stretch. But I know what you mean because the nacelle kind of looks yeah. like the kind of sort of oval. Yeah, and the and then the and then yeah, the nacelles are really small compared to the the saucer. Right. But if you look on the far right, it's the old Enterprise, the Enterprise, uh, uh, Kirk's Enterprise. Uh, you, this one. Uh, top top right hand corner. Well, that's pretty small. Well, okay, it is small. So, so but you're I'm saying just... that's Kirk's instead of uh, Pike's. You're able to tell the nacelles from there. No, it could be pikes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're nerding out here. Okay. But anyways, um, I did not notice uh, Stargazer until you said that. That's funny. And you're absolutely right. Yeah, another interesting part is it looks like a Frangi ship. Is that a Frangi ship? Where's that? On page uh, three. As they're first walking through the space station. Yeah, it does kind of, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of a weird shot. It's like underneath, maybe. It, it is from beneath, yeah. But, um, but I, I, that looks like a Ferengi. It does. It is kind of has the little. It always reminded me. The Ferengi ship always kind of reminded me of the uh, Rebel Alliance logo on Star Wars. Oh yeah. yeah. It has like the little half crescent moon with the little pointy end coming out. Yeah. Good point. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh, also on page well, five. Go ahead. Oh, just a, a comment. On page five where uh, Spock is uh, back with T'Pring, I mean, she looks really short. 
Yeah, but I thought she was. Wasn't I don't remember short? it being that short in the original. Uh, uh, here, here's the best and one. She always had the really so, tall hair. <laughs> at the bottom of page four, I mean, look at that. Yeah. yeah I mean, Spock really is short. just like towering over her. I'm sure she must have been in the movie. I mean, in the episode. Otherwise, why would they have drawn it that way? I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, you're right. She is short and with the really tall hair. Right. Now, interestingly enough, later on, she's taller. So on page six, six. Uh, of course, it's a very small panel, uh, and maybe she was on her tippy toes, but um, you know there isn't as big a drastic difference between their heights. Yeah, yeah that's point. a good point. So point. did she say what happened to her uh, husband, the one that? No, I mean she just said you know he's around. Yeah, she... he's boring. He's basically um, what I expected him to be. Yeah, she said stone is stone. Or I guess that's his name. S-T-O-N-N. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so basically I married him for stability because you never stuck around, and now I'm bored to tears. But yeah. he's what I expected I didn't be. get that from there, but okay. Well, that's what I got. Don't While we're me. talking about ships, and maybe it's there's a better shot of it in the next issue, but the this Bolian guy, he's in a Federation ship. He's in a runabout. Well, okay, you're jumping forward. It is, okay. You're, jump, you're jumping? And you can kind of see it here on the side, but... Okay. Well, yeah, you can see it a little bit here. But, yeah. But, but you seven. can't really tell yeah, it's a runabout. Yeah, you really can't. So it's, it's the next one. It's, it's the next one. And I definitely have my comments there, and I'm sure my comments are the same as yours. Uh, and then uh, I'm just going to make a little uh, side note about when I was reading these, because I was buying them as soon as they came out, or at least I bought this one as soon as it came out. Mm-hmm. Um when it ended and uh, he's there looking at Kirk's grave on Viridian 3, I kept wondering, I was like, all right, so where are they going to go with this? Are they going to go with the Shatner novel uh, continuity where, you know, shortly after the Enterprise oh, the, crashes, <laughs> that the that, Borg show that up? the Borg show up and beam up, Ridiculous. beam up Kirk's body and reanimate him? Because they wanted to be the new Locutus? Nah. Yeah. That's BS. Oh, see, I like that. Um... So I was, uh, I was really wondering. Okay. So, 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 so Kirk is that great. They're going to the trouble of reanimating him. Of course. He is Kirk. I know he's Kirk, and he is the man, but. <laughs> so anyways, I'm just telling you that when I read this after issue number three, it's like one of the few times where I was like, I cannot wait till the next issue. Uh, I have to wait a whole month before this issue comes out. <laughs> <laughs> just to see the Borg show up. Well, I, I was just curious. Are they going to go that route or not? I figure they would not. But there was always that, like, uh, how are they going to try to tie it in with other continuities? Right, right. And right. then uh, also I knew that the fourth issue was going to deal with uh, Lieutenant Savick. Right. And I was right. really looking forward before. to that, too, because in the novel series, uh, she and Spock marry. Mm-hmm. And, in, you know, there is some precedence to that because... In the Next Generation episode, uh, Sarek, when, when Picard meets Sarek for the first time, or not really the first time, but the first time we see it, mm-hmm. uh, he says, the last time I saw you was at your I son's sure. wedding. Ah. So there was always this, like, who did Spock marry? Because you, ah. you knew it wasn't Cybok uh, uh, because he dies at the end of Star Trek V. So you're like, he, Spock gets married. So then, then in the novels, he ends up getting married to Savick, and they're married forever. I mean, they're still married uh at the time Nemesis happens, according to the novels, of course. So I was, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be about that, and there's going to be a flashback to the wedding or something, and you'll see a young Picard there, and mm. it'll be like this big continuity tie-in with the next generation. So needless to say, it was a, uh, 
Uh, I was uh, very excited for, I had to wait four weeks for this next issue. And, and, and despite the disappointments for all those ways your mind went and the comic didn't, you still liked it. Or did you? We'll, we'll, we'll find out here in a second. We'll find we? out, won't we? <laughs> so, which way did the fourth issue go? Donovan has presented many possibilities, but which way did it really come down? Well, let's find out, shall we? Let's. Issue number four. Issue number four. Okay, see. Runabout class Federation star, uh, ship, not starship, ship, flying through space. Some extra components on the top of the ship, but other than that, it looks identical to the ones used on Deep Space Nine. And the next generation. Oh, really? What did they have on next turn? About the same time Deep Space Nine started. Every once in a while they would be in a runabout. Really? Yeah. The Enterprise crew. In a runabout. Right. Yeah, the big one was, uh, there was that one where, uh, for whatever reason, Troy, Picard, and somebody else was in this runabout and they were going somewhere. Yeah. And the ship was going, still going on its way. So they were going somewhere. And I just remember them being in the runabout. And the insides of the runabout was different than the insides of the runabout in the Deep, Deep Space, Space Nine, Nine, but the outside was exactly the same. Huh. I don't remember that one. So, I mean, they don't care. I mean, as far as I know, they don't, I mean, other than this episode you're mentioning, they don't carry uh, runabouts on the Enterprise, do they? I don't know. Huh. I think maybe they just kind of sporadically put them in there once, once they had cool. the bottles built and stuff. Well, I will say one thing. That the shuttles they frequently use, it's like, that is one of the most, it looks like, it looks like a little Yugo or something. Yeah. It just looks like a cruddy little, little thing. All right. All right, we digress. So, we do di- digress. Let's go back to the thrilling story. So, Captain Mox at the controls in a rather spacious bridge for a runabout. Mox leaves the bridge and descends a staircase. It's a what big, is this, a TARDIS? It's a big runabout. To enter a room with Ambassador Spock seated next to what appears to be a photon torpedo, but is more likely a coffin. Yeah. They engage in conversation. Spock asks for the status of their travels. Captain Mox reports they are sailing through Federation space with no encounters with Federation authorities. Compliments of Spock's route he programmed into Mox's navigation computers. Spock warned Mox not to attempt the same route again. Because obviously this would be a security risk if people could just mm-hmm. get all the way to Sector 001 so easily without being detected. Uh, Mox asks Spock to, Spock to explain why, Vulcan, why a Vulcan like him appears to be displaying the emotion of sentimentality, which triggers another reflection into the past. Okay, uh, they're they are on Enter- Okay, they are on the Enterprise with Sabek in the captain's chair. She is going through her Kobayashi Maru from Wrath of Khan. She decides to eject the warp core on Scotty's suggestion and move the ship away, but not in time to avoid taking damage from the exploding uh, NASA or uh, warp cores. After the simulation ends, a pissed-off young crewman gets all nasty with her, asking if, if she has anything to say about killing many of his engineering friends in the explosion, including Mr. Spock, or Mr. Scott. He storms off before she can say anything. Savick enters Spock's quarters, asking for, count, uh, uh, for his, his counsel to help explain Ensign Wilson's outburst. Before Spock can fully reply... They are called to an inspection in engineering. Scott's engineering team 
is at attention in engineering while Mr. Spock explains how important it is that the inspection goes well for the Admiral. Admiral Kirk, obviously. Uh, Suddenly, jets of gas start erupting from the engine components, threatening the engineering team. Spock responds to the emergency by calling for an emergency transport of the crewmen out of engineering. Before completely out of harm's way, a crewman rushes into the smoke to rescue a fellow engineer who he pulls out of the deadly room. The crewman turns out to be Mr. Scott's nephew, who Scotty displays great pride in, despite the fact that he defied Mr. Scott's orders not to go into harm's way. Savick states her lack of understanding for Mr. Scott's beaming pride when it's obvious uh, his nephew disobeyed Scotty's orders not to go back into the gas-filled room. Spock consoles her and says he is going through what he went through as a Vulcan among humans so many years ago uh, and frequently did not see the logic in human actions. Okay, so uh, the narration jumps back to the runabout where Captain Mox is reporting the ship is in orbit, presumably around Earth. They make plans for Spock's beam down. Spock is beamed down to an Iowa farmhouse where he walks up to a gravestone etched James Tiberius Kirk. A familiar voice comes from behind and turns out to be Picard, commenting on how surprised he is to see Spock there. Picard says, There is a place for Spock again in Starfleet, but Spock declines. They part company with Spock suggesting that Picard should treasure the times, for when they are gone, they will not return. Again, Spock is alone and contemplative. (laughs) Jump forward when Spock is again on Romulus, uh, in caves and interacting with a bearded Romulan who looks just like Spock's mirror world character. (laughs) One of Spock's young students runs up to Spock, saying he has completed studying the teachings of Surak. Spock observes that if this is the case, he must certainly have many questions and that their lesson should begin. The end. So, uh, good story, but I thought it was just a little bit anticlimactic, uh, and they do cover a lot of previously presented stories. Yep. But, yeah. So, so let's go to the, the runabout. Ah, yes, let's talk about the runabout, Shannon. It's the, the amazing TARDIS runabout. Yeah, so this runabout has at least two decks to it, which I don't remember. Ever. E- even the, the Defiant, which is bigger than the runabout, only had one deck. Are you sure? Did it? I mean, they—they—I they, they, don't think there were many decks on the on the Defiant, but I thought they had more than just one. Do deck. They? Maybe they do. Maybe. They but, have... but come on, I mean, the, 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 I mean, well, I this remember. Thing looks very spacious. I remember many DS Nine episodes where they were in the, they were in the back of the back of the thing. They were in the front in the uh, in the in the control cabin, but never such a huge uh, interior. And so, how did he get a Federation runabout? I don't know. Good question. Because the guy doesn't look Federation. He's not in a Federation uniform. Nope, he's not. Nope, not at all. And I did like how you mentioned uh, the torpedo tube acting as a, a coffin again. Again. It's like, okay, that was fine for Spock. <laughs> because they, had they a, didn't have it. It was a makeshift co- exactly. coffin. I mean, they weren't expecting anybody to die on a training simulating ship. Yeah. 
So, uh, what do you think about the the flashback uh, to Savick? You said that it was during her Kobayashi Maru. I, it, it couldn't have been her Kobayashi Maru because we saw that on Star Trek Two, and the bridge crew was all the normal bridge crew. It was yeah, Sulu, but they had changed other things. Right. So, so well, I think this was I mean, just a, a did, did they have simulation. did they have uh, Scots? No um, nephew on the damn ship. No. Yeah. Did, Wait, did, what are you talking about? That wasn't his nephew. Yeah, it was his nephew. No way. Yes, it was his nephew. No. It was his sister's kid. He says it. Did he? Yeah. I thought he was just another guy that uh, no. stood, his, stood his ground and died. No, he was his nephew. That was why it was so... Uh, it, it, it's, in a, it's just in an offhand comment when, uh, when, when, when Kirk shows up to do the inspection and uh-huh. he does the whole jerk thing by puts the white glove on and like rubs his hand across uh-huh. the thing and like, oh, I got some dirt away. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Scott tells Kirk that it's his sister's kid. Oh. So it would be his nephew. And then that way when, when he dies later, it's, it's all the more sad that, oh. Wow. Which, I've, I've seen that movie probably 12 times and I've never picked that up. Wow. I know it's in there. I've Damn. seen it. No, no, no. I, I, I agree. I agree. Oh, believe me, <laughs> I would not question your... Uh, but, uh, but yeah. You're not about and, that. But when, but when his... I mean, talk about Star Trek too. Uh, when his nephew does die and he, yeah. and, you know, he gets blown up or whatever there in, in engineering and then Kirk and them are on the bridge of the Enterprise and then the turbo lift opens up and it's Scotty holding his, cradling his, uh, his nephew in his arms. Uh-huh. And I always laugh. I'm like, Scotty, you went to the wrong place. You're supposed to go to sick bay, not the bridge. <laughs> I mean, why would you? Why would the chief of engineering bring, no his, point. bring his dead nephew up to the bridge? He wanted to see it one time. <laughs> it's more, it's more dramatic that way. But anyways, yeah. Could I mention something about Captain Mox? Uh, yeah. That I failed to mention before. Mm-hmm. In uh, in the third one, although you can kind of see it here too, but not as well. Um, in the third issue in particular. It looked like um, Box's face is completely patterned off of the actor who was in uh, Star Trek V at the beginning mm. with Spock's brother, uh, the really pathetic-looking guy. The really skinny... Uh, like, 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 like Space Desert Bum right. guy. With the, like, the solid teeth. His teeth were all messed up. Yeah, and, like he had almost no teeth. And then at the yeah, end, that's he right. Kinda, he kind of like uh, goes... His, his head kind of turns or something, yeah. suddenly understanding how wonderful Spock's brother is. Well, I think uh, it was because he was laughing, and then he pulls down his his and cloak, sees he's and a he's like, oh, he's a Vulcan. But it was... Yeah. So, well, what's that? I mean... Well, how, how would you know it's a Vulcan or a Romulan? Because weren't Romulan... What? Romulans were one of the co-rulers of that planet anyway. Yeah. So you would think that he'd seen a Romulan before. Good point. Oh, but, I, yeah, I thought he was reacting to just how wonderful... Uh, maybe you're right. Uh, yeah. And how he was able with his words to, to make the, the, so the wretch... Feel so great. ...feel better about uh, his lot in life or whatever. Well, he could also make people... Uh, what was it? Make them relive stuff from their past. Yeah. Which yeah. would somehow make people feel better. Although all the scenes they showed of Spock and it was McCoy, all bad It was all really bad things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I totally see it. Yeah, I guess he did kind of look like it, especially in the third issue. So um, obviously, this is uh, this scene happened probably right before uh, Star Trek Two, um, and Lieutenant Savick is the uh, uh, Christy Alley version. Yes, Christy Alley version, definitely. So, which uh, I thought was the cutest version. 
yeah, but because she doesn't have. The oh no, 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 that's not true. Kim I mean, Control doesn't have the. She Kim Control wasn't Savic. I don't remember what her name. I is. I think now I know Kim Control. She was a Vulcan, but she was not Savic. Oh really? Yeah. It's, she was mighty cute. She was cute, yeah, but she's not Savic. I don't remember what her name is, but um, but I think when they originally wrote Star Trek. Six, yeah, six. Mm-hmm. Undiscovered country. I think she was probably Savic was probably the uh, person that that was supposed to be. And from what I've heard, um, Gene Roddenberry was the one who wouldn't let them use Savic as the the traitor. Oh, really? Right. He was the one that was like, no, it can't be Savic. So they ended up making it uh, that other person, the just random, other character, random Vulcan woman who sided with the Klingons. Right. But what's funny is that in, in parallel to them. Uh, in some of the expanded universe type stuff, they say that Savic is half Vulcan, half Romulan, right? So, yeah. which I never understood because you're not supposed to know Vulcan or Romulans are Vulcanoid, but yeah. okay, she's half Vulcan, gotcha. Um, but in some of the other stuff that I read about um, that woman who's um, in Star Trek Six, she's supposedly half Vulcan, half Klingon. Ah, which really. Why, why, why even bother? Why even bother? Why, so basically, why the Vulcans get around. Of, why, why mixing of all these species? Now, now, now you would think the Vulcans would be the one, the tight ass alien race that would probably get it on with other species the least. But exactly. man, they're just they're just copulating with everything. And they make such a big deal about Spock being this hybrid, and you know, yeah. it's a big deal. So, luckily in the movies, uh, they never mention that either one of them are Vulcan. Half Vulcan, half something else. But that's funny. You didn't know that, that was his nephew. No, I didn't know that. All right. All right, so back to the comic. Back when he's on the farm in Iowa, and uh, he goes to the gravesite, and then he beams down Kirk's body into the ground. No. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. you know, are, are they beaming up uh, a big chunk of ground that's that's there? So that's that they been displaced. Beam, yeah, so that they can beam Kirk's body down into it. Because uh, I was like, well, okay, he, he didn't—he's not merging with the, the soil. He's beaming into the soil, so that soil has to be displaced in some way. So there should be like a big mound there all of a sudden. Um, yeah, and I think they just basically uh, didn't want to think about it too much, but wanted a nice, easy, a quick, easy, clean way to get him into the ground. I'm being a little nitpicky, I guess. And that's funny. So uh, obviously, Spock doesn't bother to say anything to the family or anything like that. Whose family? He, Kirk's family. Kirk? There might be uh, family still on Earth. Well, Kirk, I mean, Kirk has his, his brother was George George Junior. He died. I think they mentioned that he died in okay, the series. But, but and he has like some nephews. So yeah, you're right. So maybe it's the nephews or the nephews' kids that still live. Or now. cousins or aunts or who knows. Yeah. Although I will say that in the uh, revisionistic uh, Star Trek, which of course is a different timeline, Star Trek Eleven. Right. Um, he seems. He seems pretty alone in his Iowa home with his uh, oppressive uh, stepfather and brother, and brother who was on the road. Right. Cause, exactly. Because in the novel, in the novel, it talks about how the brother had a big blowout fight with the stepdad. Yeah. And that the mom is out. Uh, I guess she's part off of the world. Federation still, and she's she's always off-world, leaving him with the kids, leaving the stepdad with the kids. Yeah, is that what it says in the novel? Yeah, I think so. And then George and the stepdad have this big blowout, and then yeah. Kurt just like, I'm going to steal my dad's car. It's not your car anyways. Yeah. And also, isn't there something where uh, 
where uh, Kirk is always uh, Jim is always like having to like wax it or something or having what having to wax it and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. He's always having to keep up the car, and his and his stepdad takes credit for it, but and he's like, "It's not even your car; it's my dad's." Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Anyways. And then it, and all that background makes it so much more understandable why he is doing the delinquent thing, driving the car around, and then why he drove it off the uh, incredibly uh, high cliff. Yeah, the quarry that, I guess... Exactly. Yeah, was that quarry supposed to be all the raw material they used to make the Enterprise? Because the Enterprise was built, like, right there, too. Like, the But na- that was a lot later. I know, but you got to dig up the material, process it, make all the... I, I don't metal know. and stuff. And then... I mean, it, 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 to me, it looked more like a natural formation, which yeah. is like I don't remember there being a mini Grand Canyon in Iowa, but I that's think, okay. I think in the novel it says it's a quarry, and oh. because in the in the in the show, he's driving and he hits that fence and it busts open. But right. in the novel, it actually says what it says on that fence, oh. which you can't see in the movie. Yeah, I, I don't know. It all makes sense. Yeah, if you have enough background, right. Yeah, because you don't even know that that's George, that he zooms past. And he's yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, last thing I want to say about that scene is I love the product placement. I mean, you're you're 200 years in the future. And you still got Nokia. Yeah. 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 What, what product placement are we going to use? Nokia wants a little action of this show. <laughs> it's kind of like in uh, the, um, the original Batman, uh, not the original Batman, but the 1989 Tim Burton Batman. Mm-hmm. They wanted some product placement in that. So if you look at Batman's boots, they're Nikes. Oh, God, you're kidding me. No, I, I didn't notice that. I didn't know it. Uh, I was a kid when that movie came out, and I was a huge fan because I love comic books. Sure. I bought a big poster of Batman kind of leaning up against the uh, the Batmobile, and yeah. that's and when I noticed. Nikes. I was like, hey, those are the Nike little swoosh. Anyways, last thing I have about this book is... This is supposed to be shortly after Generations, I'm assuming, since Picard's still around and not off uh, doing whatever he does uh, before uh, First Contact. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's already wearing the new uniform. Mm-hmm. This is a nitpicky thing. So yeah. You um, think it should still be the yeah, because, you know, cause, original series one? Yeah, because the uh, Deep Space Nine didn't start using those outfits and still, until it was supposed to be like 2373 or 2374. Which would have been like the year of First Contact. So I'm using that as a judge because that was a weekly episode. So you saw every week until they suddenly changed right. into the new uniform. Which was like right when First Contact came out. So this this has to either happen right before First Contact or he's wearing the wrong suit. I remember the first time I saw the Next Gen crew wearing it was in one of the movies. First and, Contact. And, okay, that's, okay, right. Mm-hmm. I thought the first time I saw it, Picard did not wear the uniform, but Riker did. So you started seeing some people wearing the new uniform. No, in, in First Contact, uh, the very first shot shows Picard in the old costume because it's that flashback right, of when he's flashback. on the board. I got that. But then when he wakes up and gets in his normal he's in dress, new, he's in the new uniform. new uniform. Yeah. So anyways, like I said, that was a real nitpicky thing. And another nitpicky thing I had was in issue number three when they're on Viridian 3. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Issue number three on Viridian 3, where was the destroyed Enterprise? Wouldn't it have been pretty close to where Spock was? You know, the saucer section crashed into Oh, yeah, I know. I know what happened in it. Um, And wouldn't you think there would be a lot of... 
there would be a lot of traffic to pull all the wreckage off of Viridian 3 so that the uh, but, they wouldn't break the prime directive. But, but I don't I don't remember anything that gave me the impression that the Enterprise went down the saucer section went down anywhere near where Soren was uh, was was picked up. Because uh, they landed in like a forest or something, and well, they definitely had forests. Soren was in the desert, so man, definitely I guess desert. You're right. I, I I don't remember those them tying them together geographically. You're right, but it's been a while since I've seen it. You're right, you're right, and maybe I'm thinking more of because in the novel, The Return, yeah, <laughs> uh, Captain uh, Captain Picard's off trying to you know justify all what happened with Starfleet, and Riker's in charge of the, um, and this is also in Imzadi too, the yeah. novel by Peter David, yeah. that Riker's in charge of. Uh, getting all of the Enterprise off of Viridian 3 because oh, really? there is a population there that's pre-warp and they didn't want them to stumble oh, really? across all this future technology. Right, right, right. So, uh, but in the return, while, while they're doing all this, um, the Borg show up and uh, take back uh, Kirk's body. <laughs> For so, what nefarious regenerative purposes? Because it was cool. <laughs> Okay. All right, so that was it. So uh, now I, that 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 I think is is that a record? That must be. I mean, four issues. Yeah, that's quite a few. Now, mind you, they're short, but still, yeah, four issues story going on. in one episode, and we only went an hour twelve minutes. <coughs> Which bad. I would love to keep it down to an hour, but yeah, we get to talking about other stuff. I mean, do we really need to talk about? Uh, the movie that much of course <laughs> of course we do and, and Whedon comic books too I mean, uh, that's true just, and Batman, Batman. alright so real quick elsewhere in the Star Trek universe like I said when these came out we we were in the uh, another golden age of comic book uh, merchandise I mean Star Trek merchandise because of the new movie so uh, just really quick and, and it's all comic books for the most part uh, IDW was really pumping out the uh, comic books to, to to pick up on the the to ride the wave. Anyways, July we had, uh, they were finishing off a uh, Star Trek the original series called The Crew, issue number five. Uh, there was another series going on with the original series uh, called Mission's End. Uh, we were at issue number three of the Wrath of Khan adaptation. So it took that long before there was ever in a Wrath of Khan adaptation. Mm. Uh, which, coincidentally, now over a year later after Star Trek the movie came out, we're finally starting to get Star Trek the movie adaptation so they waited a year before it came out all right so spock reflections came out uh august um a novel called the soul key uh which is ds9 um more spock reflections uh, the star trek nero came out star trek alien spotlight uh q issue came out which i have but i haven't read september uh, another ds9 novel called the never ending sacrifice uh more comics spock Number three, Nero number two, uh, a Romulans miniseries, uh, issue number one that was written by John Byrne. Uh, and then October we have uh, the Enterprise novel, The Romulan War, which was uh, uh, kind of it continues uh, what would have happened at, uh, like a season four of Enterprise with uh, the Romulan Earth War. Um, and then we have Spock number four, Nero number three, Romulans number two. And that's about it. Cool. So next issue or episode we're going to talk about, where I go, we're going to go, everybody who's listening to this, you know that the opening I talk about all the Star Trek um, 
franchises or all the comic book companies that have had Star Trek series. And you're thinking, this is the last one. He doesn't talk about anything after IDW Comics. Well, I was wrong. There's a, uh, a company called Tokyo Pop who releases uh, <coughs> manga-inspired uh, Star Trek uh, graphic novels. So we're going to review... Uh, it's not necessarily the first one, but we picked it because it's written by uh, Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. <laughs> Will Wheaton. Will Of uh, Wesley Crusher fame. Exactly. Uh, so we'll read that one. I think and it's called guy. The Art of War, I think is what the that Art one's called. Uh, we're going to read that, and then we're going to... Borrowing the title from Sang Su. Yes. And then we're also going to go back, and we're going to read a... Uh, Short comic book that was published uh, in the early 70s by a company called Peter Pan Records. And uh, it should be quite interesting because I've kind of thumbed through it. I've never actually read it. And uh, we will have lots to talk about that one. So once next issue or episode, that will, we will have covered every comic book company that has released Star Trek comic books. And somehow that's appropriate with it being the 10th episode. Yeah, I'm kind of excited because I haven't read either one of these. I've, I've never once I never knew that there was uh, this Peter Pan thing until uh, not too long ago, and I've been waiting to read it until we could read it and then do the the review at the same time. So that being said, I hope everybody uh, enjoyed the show, and uh, we will talk to you later. Later, everybody. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.